Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'm going to ask you to be seated, if you would, please, for a minute. When you came in this morning, you should have received a little booklet like this, and our ushers are prepared at this point. If you don't have one, I want you to raise your hand. I want every person in there to have a book. Okay, great. Lots of people need books. We have plenty. While these are being passed out, I want to tell you about the challenge we're going to issue to this church for the next 30 days. If you remember last week in my sermon, I preached about unreached people groups as part of the sermon. And I challenged our church by the year's end, by the end of this year, in 2015, that our church will have selected an unreached people group somewhere in the world and start making plans to go be with that group. Now, an unreached people group is a group of people somewhere in the world that has no known Christians, no known churches, no known Christian missionaries. So very simply, there's no influence of the gospel. There are literally thousands and thousands of unreached people groups all over the world comprising several billion with a B people. Now I believe the Lord is calling our church to select one of those groups. I don't know who it's going to be yet. But to select one of those unreached people groups and begin to pray for that group. Eventually send teams and the hope is to share the gospel in a place that's never heard the name Jesus. This little booklet represents the beginning of that journey for us. Now what this is, is a booklet put out by the IMB, which is the International Mission Board. It's the, the missions sending organization of the Southern Baptist Convention. In this little booklet, there are 30 unreached people groups. Now if you were to look, and you don't have to look now, you can if you want to, but there's a little map in the middle. That shows the locations of these 30 groups. Adam, I thought you said there were thousands of them. There are. These are just 30 of them. They come out with new editions of these little books pretty regularly. And they have new people groups. I'm not saying we're going to pick one of these groups. But here's what I'm challenging you to do. I want you to listen. This is very important. If you are part of Rosemont Baptist Church, I'm speaking to every person in here right now, I'm going to challenge you for the next 30 days, every day to read through... Page one on day one, page two on days two. Read through it and there's some little prayers that you can pray specifically for these people groups. As you're praying through this book, I'm going to encourage you to ask the Lord. Lord, guide our church to one of these groups. Maybe it's in this book, maybe it's not. But Lord, guide our church to select one people group somewhere in the world so we can minister to these people. Now what we've done is we've prepared for you a little card. You can't see it from back there, I know. But it says, how is God speaking to you? In our missions area, there's a little basket and there's a bunch of these cards. As you're praying through this book, as you're praying through this book, if you sense the Lord directing you, or speaking to you about reaching a certain group of people, or maybe a certain part of the world, I want you to tell me. We're kind of all in this together, right? This is not going to be me saying, okay, by the way, we're going to go to the Philippines, or Indonesia, or China, or wherever. It's about our church making this decision together. We can't do it without prayer. We're not going to try to do it without prayer. That's why we're starting here. So you pray through this little book. I'm going to be talking about it for the next several weeks. If you sense the Lord speaking to you, tell me. Email me. Call me, come to see me, write on this little card, put it in the basket in the back. We need to hear from you. What our family's going to do is, we're, we were looking at this thing last night, we're going to probably read through one of these every night together. We'll just read through it and have a little prayer for unreached people groups. 
It kind of gets our minds working and talking about the need and thinking about all the Lord's doing. So I want to encourage you to read through it. Let us know what you think. At the end of 30 days, we'll just assess where we are and we'll keep walking forward. We're not going to make the decision then. But we hope we've got a narrower space. We hope the Lord speaks to you very clearly. And we've got a narrower way we can pray. Maybe the Lord says South Asia. Maybe the Lord says China. Maybe the Lord says Europe. I don't know. But I want to hear from the Lord as we walk through this process together. Okay? So take a book. Be serious about your prayers. And allow the Lord to speak. Now I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are thankful for this chance we have to sing To pray, to study, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to to be aware of the unreached. There are lots of believers, Lord, that don't even know there are unreached people in the world. Father, you've made that clear to us, and now you're beginning to kind of hone our thoughts and our minds into ministering, into helping, into sharing with one of these groups. So, Father, I pray for the next 30 days. As our church takes this little book and we begin to pray through these different groups and and we hear these needs, I pray you would speak clearly to us. Father, I pray you'd be obvious where we're supposed to go. I pray it'd be obvious who we're supposed to see, how we're supposed to minister. Father, we don't want to do anything because we want to do it. We don't want to go anywhere because we want to go there. We want to go because you've called us to go. And we are confident, Lord, that you still speak. We know you still speak. Lord, speak to us. Give us clarity, Lord. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom and discernment. Father, because I know, I know right now, Lord, there are people that desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need the gift that so many of us take for granted. And I believe, Lord, you're calling our church very clearly to go to one of those groups and for the first time ever share with them the name Jesus. So you make that abundantly clear in our hearts. You make that abundantly clear in our minds as we pray through this process together. Lord, we have a time now as we move in our service to offering. We give a chance to give back, Father. I just, again, pray for what we give. I pray we do it with a grateful heart. I pray we do it because we trust you, Father. And I pray you take what we use to further your kingdom. I pray you'd receive honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We'll have our ushers come down at this time and we're going to continue to worship together tithes and offerings. I hope I can do justice to that video. That's pretty cool. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the chance now to open the truth of your word or to study uh, the text of Genesis, Lord, for the next little while. And Lord, I pray as we do that, you would just speak clearly to us, Father. Lord, you know my heart. Lord, you know that I feel completely inadequate to teach this, Lord. Lord, I have nothing to say outside of what you're going to say. And so I pray right now, Father, you would just take the words that I've prepared to say, Lord, and you would use them so that you could receive glory, so that you could receive honor, so we could get a glimpse of your, of your power and your majesty in this study, Father. I pray we'd understand more about you. I pray you'd speak to us clearly, Father, and I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you were to ask most modern scientists or philosophers to talk to you about the beginning or the origin of the universe... They would probably say something like this. Well, there was a Big Bang, 
It happened several billion years ago. It formed the matter and all the gravity and all the things we have in the universe. From that big bang, eventually planets spun into being and on those planets were atmospheres and the conditions were just right. And after a period of millions of years on this earth, through evolutionary processes, things came to be. And they would probably explain to you how organisms changed and shifted from one to another and they would eventually end up with us. That's how we got here. Of course, most of those people would give no mention of God. There would be no mention of a creator. There would be no mention of a design. There would be no mention of a plan. Everything in the universe is a result of dumb luck and chance, they would basically say. In fact, I read one author that explained it like this. Nobody times nothing equals everything. Now, if that's right, if there is no creator... If there's no plan, if there's no design, then our lives become a speck of nothingness in the vast emptiness of space, right? In fact, that's exactly what Carl Sandburg said. Carl Sandburg was a fa- famous astrologer, astronomer, <laughs> astronomer, and he was opposed to most things Christian. In fact, just a few weeks before Carl Sagan died, I want you to listen to exactly what he says. We live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star that is one of 400 billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions of other galaxies, which make up a universe, which may be one of a very large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. In other words, what Carl Sagan is saying here is there's nothing special about who we are. If we believe that theory, then we are awash in a sea of nothingness. There's no eternal hope. There's no eternal joy. And there's no real chance of ever making a lasting difference. But I believe, and I will teach from the truth of God's word, that there is in fact a different reality. I think the Bible teaches something entirely different. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches that there is a creator. That there is a plan. That we are created in his image And that we all have a calling and a purpose. I believe that that's the true reality. But in order to understand that, in order to see exactly what the Bible teaches, in order to understand about creation and the plan that God laid out from eternity past, we must start our study in the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now I want to confess to you something. Preacher Max, you'll appreciate this. I had one plan in mind. The Lord had something radically different. My plan was to preach through Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter today. And as I started studying, I realized that's impossible. Maybe I can preach half the chapter. And as I began to study through that, I realized that's impossible. Maybe I can preach through the first day. And as I began to walk through that and study, I began to realize that's impossible. 
So we're going to focus today on Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now I just want to... I just want to say, I was trying to proceed your laughter with this comment. We're not going to study this whole book two verses at a time, I promise. But I just feel like there's so much debate about these first two chapters, we need to take our time. We need to take our time understanding exactly what the Lord says. You know, as I started thinking through teaching Genesis, I've been praying about this for many months. But as you think about the book of Genesis, it's chock full of all the things we learned as a kid, right? I mean, all the, all the, the stories we learn in Sunday school and in, in discipleship training are found in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, they're in Genesis. Creation, that's in Genesis. Noah and the flood, that's in Genesis. The Garden of Eden is in Genesis. The Tower of Babel, Abraham and Isaac, on and on the list goes. There's so many foundational truths in the book of Genesis. Yet, even though it's filled with so much truth, it's not without controversy. Even fellow believers will disagree on certain parts of the book of Genesis. And they may ask questions like this. How did God really create the earth? Did he use six literal days? Did he use evolution when he created? How old is the earth? Was the flood real? Did it really cover the entire world? We have all these questions that we ask. But I just want to caution you. And I just want to remind you. And as we begin this study today, I just want to kind of build on this very simple foundation. You're going to hear me saying this over and over again through this study. Regardless of what the world may say, regardless of what theories may be present, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to stand on the truth of the Word of God. Period. And so it's my hope that as we study through this, we're going to be able to do this. Now I want to spend a few minutes this morning... Giving you a little bit of background. I think it's important as we're going to spend some time in this book to understand a little bit of background. I really am challenged at kind of this point in my sermon because I'm a teacher at heart. So I have this desire to teach and just give a lot of facts and a lot of information. But I know sometimes that can become boring. And so I've got to to kind of weave this in with understanding and especially with application. So my prayer is that you'll understand this background in the theme of all that the Lord's doing. The theme of all the Lord is accomplishing in this incredible book. Genesis is the first book of what's known as the Pentateuch. Now the Pentateuch, if you've ever heard the name, means Penta means five. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis begins. Now most people take the Pentateuch as kind of a unit. We don't really separate them. We read them individually and they've got individual stories. But if you think about it, they all kind of tell the same story. They all kind of have the same theme. And so we understand that Genesis is the beginning of the Pentateuch. And that's important because the word Genesis really means beginnings. If you were to start listing, I kind of thought through this a little bit this week as I was studying. If you think about all the things in Genesis that relate to beginnings, the list is long. In Genesis, we understand and think about the beginning of the universe. In Genesis, we think about the beginning of the world. We think about the beginning of humans. We think about the beginning of life. We think about the beginning of sin in Genesis chapter 3, don't we? We think about the beginning of salvation, God's plan for redemption. Even in the middle part of Genesis 3, we see from the beginning there was this plan to redeem God's people back to himself. So if we wanted to kind of summarize the book of Genesis, if we wanted to have a theme, that kind of a banner we would hang over the entire book, it would be beginnings, in the beginning One scholar said it like this, Genesis introduces 
The two main subjects of Holy Scripture. God the Creator, that's the first idea. And man, His creature. And it sets the scene for the long tale of their relationship. Now, we would argue, most people would argue that Moses is the author of Genesis. In fact, we would say that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The way that we arrive at that conclusion, even though there's not one verse in Genesis that says that Moses wrote it, there are multiple verses in Leviticus, there are verses in Exodus, there are verses in the New Testament that look back on the Pentateuch, and they all credit Moses as being the author. So even though we can't point to one specific verse that says Moses wrote the book of Genesis, we can take all these other facts and all this other information and we can, with great certainty, say that Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. Now Genesis has kind of got two major categories I want you to understand. And again, this is a big picture look. We're going to delve into a lot of details. We walk through this over the next many weeks. But Genesis is divided into two major ideas. If you wanted to take a take a, 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 a kind of a grid or a graph and divide Genesis up, you would have verses 1 through 11. Now verses 1 through 11 are about creation, they're about fall and sin, and how sin begins to make its way into other parts of creation and eventually into the world, right? So you see this picture of the creation, everything's good, everything's beautiful, Genesis 3, sin enters, and all through verse 11 you see sin just kind of running rampant through creation, Beginning in verse 12, and really through the end of the book, chapter 50, we see that we now have this plan of redemption through Abraham. We'll see that. God specifically calls Abraham, his chosen man, his chosen people, to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So we see chapters 1 through 11, this widening influence of sin. And then beginning in verse 12, even though we've got a sense from the beginning that God had a plan, beginning in verse 12, we're going to narrow that plan down into God's redemption for his people. It was a big picture. Now, there are a lot of other themes we're going to cover, a lot of other things we're going to think about, but I want to go ahead and delve this morning, kind of understanding a little bit of background, a little bit about the author, a little bit about the theme, a little bit about the divisions of the book. Let's delve right into Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll say this, there, there is, I think, I think there's no section of Scripture, at least one chapter, that's more debated than Genesis 1. And we're going to get into a lot of that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now here's truth number one, and I want you to understand. If you're taking notes, you need to underline this, circle it, whatever you need to do. This is foundational not only to this particular portion of Scripture, but it's foundational to everything we're going to study all through the book of Genesis. Point number one. In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God. We begin here with God. Now let me just remind you of a very simple truth about Scripture. Although the Word of God is written to believers, it's written to you and it's written to me, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about the Lord. It's His story, you understand that? Now we play a part in that, a role in that. He calls us all to do different things. He sends us. He invites us to be his hands and his feet. But it's all about God. It begins and ends with him. In fact, if you were to read through this first chapter of the book of Genesis, God's name appears 35 times. God is foundational to everything in the universe. Now this is important because there are a lot of theories of creation that leave the Lord out. 
There are a lot of theories of the universe and of beginnings and of life that don't have anything to do with the Lord. But the Bible is clear. And everything that we see in Scripture, and everything that we teach, regardless of what the world may say, let's be careful here, regardless of what the world may say, the Bible's clear that in the beginning, God. Now I want you to notice something interesting about the Lord here. As we think through what it means in Genesis 1. There's no mention in Genesis chapter 1 of the creation of God. There's no mention of his beginning. There's no mention of his origin. We see from this verse and from numerous other verses all through the scripture that God is eternal. In fact, if we were going to talk about the attributes of God, one of his attributes is he's eternal. He always has been, he always will be. Not only is he eternal, but the beautiful part about that verse is that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I have a precious group of people that come in early on Sunday mornings and pray with me. I'm I'm indebted to those people. But they come and they they surround me and they pray for me in my sermon. And, And in the prayer of one of these precious individuals, this man said, Lord, help us to understand that the same spirit that hovered upon the deep is the same spirit we deal with today. That's right. God's the same. He was the same then. He was the same last year. He's the same now. He'll be the same for eternity future. God's eternal. We saw that in John chapter 1 as we studied through that over Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God claims to be eternal. One of my favorite verses in a part that Scripture that really points us out is the story of God speaking to Moses. You remember as Moses is tending the flock, remember he's fled from Egypt. He's attending the flock and he kind of walks over this hill and the Bible says there's a burning bush. And I love that passage of scripture. If you don't remember this about the story, the Bible says that when, when Moses comes upon the bush, the Lord says to Moses, you remember what he says to him first? Take off your shoes because you're walking on holy ground. So Moses takes off his shoes and he walks up to the bush and he begins to have this conversation with the Lord. And the Lord says, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. The most powerful ruler in the world, Moses, you're just a sheep herder. You need to go tell him to let the people go. And there's this interesting conversation where Moses says, Lord, I I just don't know what to say. (laughs) I don't have the right words. I'm I'm fearful. What what, what am I supposed to say, Lord, if, if, if they say to me, who sent you? And there's that famous verse in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. See, God is eternal. He always has been and he always will be. Now let's draw some conclusion from that. Think with me through this if you would. Because God is eternal, because he has always existed, he owes his creation to no one, right? God very clearly, scripturally, doesn't answer to anyone. Because God created everything, because he doesn't owe his existence to any one person or anything, he has the right to rule over his creation as he sees fit. You understand that? Sometimes we try to think through what we would do if we were God, don't we? And we like to use words like fair and just. Well, how could God allow this to happen? How could God allow that to happen? You know what? The final answer to that question, as difficult as it may sound to us, is because he's God. He created it. He can deal with it any way he wants to. 
And it's not our place as the created part of his universe to expect him to answer to what we think is right. God says, I've created it. I've designed it. I don't answer to anyone. Now, because of this truth, let's just think through this one more step. He is the final authority as it relates to all things relating to creation, right? God is the final authority in creation. Now, stay with me for a second. If God's the final and ultimate authority in creation, that means that nothing else is. Science is not the final authority in creation. Philosophy is not the final authority in creation. Reason is not the final authority in creation. All those things are good and beneficial and important, and we'll think through all those things together over the next many weeks. But the ultimate authority in creation is God. Now, I look at the world we live in today, and this is just me speculating, but I see all the different people that would argue that creation came about without the existence of God. I see all the books that have written, I see all the theories that are present. And I can't help but think God in in all of his sovereignty looked ahead to our generation and to the time that we live in and knew that all these people would question truth. And so he built into Genesis 1 this very, very clear picture so his believers, even though they're surrounded with doubt in the world, even though they're surrounded with other theories, can always cling to this very simple truth that in the beginning, God Now, I'm interested in creation myths. And I use the word myth because there have been creation myths since the beginning of time. In fact, if you were to go back and do some study and some research, you would understand that this book, and one of the things we do when we study the Bible, is we try to understand the intent of the author. What did the author intend this book to mean, and who read it initially, and what did they understand it to mean, right? So here's kind of the modern version. If I write you a note, a letter... Let's say you wrote a letter to the people that are in South Asia right now. I hope you did that. I wrote letters to those people. When they open that up, they're going to know that I wrote it, and I had a very specific intent when they read it. Now, imagine that letter survived for a thousand more years, and it got buried in the desert, and some guy picked it up and read it a thousand years from now. Unless he understood my intent to that original audience, it wouldn't make sense to him, would it? And so what we try to do when we understand Scripture is understand who wrote it, who did they write it to, and what was the author's original intent, right? So Moses wrote this in the time of Mesopotamia. If you know your history, and I know all of you do, (laughs) geography, right? Tigris and Euphrates River, we'll talk about that here in a few weeks. Mesopotamia is the land between the two rivers. It's basically modern-day Iraq now. That's where the Garden of Eden is centered. That's who Moses is writing to. And the people that lived in that time period when Moses wrote this would be surrounded by other views. The Babylonians had a view of creation. The people of Mesopotamia had a view of creation. The Assyrians had a view of creation. All these different views. But yet the interesting thing is Moses understands these other views. He would have been very aware of these other views. But he writes Genesis 1 in stark contrast to all these other views. All these other people said these things. Many of them say there are many gods. Moses says there's one God. Many of these say that the original God had to have a battle with another God to try to figure out who was supreme. Moses says from the beginning God has been supreme. Many of these other stories say that the sun and the moon and stars were gods to themselves. Moses says that God created those things as part of his universe and he holds dominion over them. 
And so even though we see all these other myths, even though we see all these other creation stories, we understand that Moses wrote this with the truth in mind so that the people of God living in this time period would understand that there's false teachings and there's true teaching. You understand? In fact, one author said it like this. One can imagine, I love this, what a rock of stability this chapter would have provided for the people of God when faced with the lure of pagan myths around them, right? Exiles of the people of God during their time in Babylon, for example, may have been tempted to fall in with the ideas of their conquerors. Genesis 1 calls them back to the worship of the one sovereign, majestic Lord who in the transcendent freedom of his created word is the source of all things, all life, all creatures, all peoples. See, when we're surrounded by untruth, we have the rock of God to come back to. I thought that's the world we live in now. That quote could be used to the people of God now. We're surrounded by myth. We're surrounded by theory. But if we take to heart what Moses says, if we take to heart the truth of the word of God, we understand that in the beginning, God It starts there. It's foundational to everything that we understand. Now, some of you are already thinking. And this is is part of my prayer process and and planning through this sermon, trying to understand and think through what you're going to think so I can answer it, right? That's important. Because in this particular part of Scripture, there are all sorts of questions, and some of you are probably already thinking, wait a minute now. You're telling me, Adam, that I'm supposed to go into the world and convince people that God created the universe using on the Bible, only the Bible. Adam, you're being naive because there are plenty of people out there that don't believe the Bible is real. There are plenty of people that don't believe the Bible is a real book, so we, we can't really use the Bible to explain creation. We need to set the Bible aside and instead we need to use science and we need to use reason and we need to use logic. And, and, and all those things are important. And all those things are good, and we're going to think through all those things. But the belief, our belief, that God created all things is ultimately not about reason. It's not about science. It's not about logic. It's about faith. And I think far too many believers miss that. We want to set aside our faith in view of science. And when the latest discovery comes up that doesn't necessarily jive with what we think it ought to be, it throws into question our faith, right? Well, this scientist discovered this, and I'm not sure what that does with Genesis. And I'm, I'm not sure this is real. We, we need to stand over here and say, you know what? I believe in the truth of the word of God. I'm going to stand firm on this, regardless of what other people may say, regardless of what other people may think, this is absolute truth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is a confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. See, we understand from these first few words of the Bible that the story of the universe begins with God. Now, here's the question of application for you. If the story of the universe begins with God, your question is this. Does your story begin with God? If God is foundational to the created order, if God is foundational to the universe, if God is foundational to all life, is God foundational in your life? Are you allowing him to write your story? In the beginning, God. Now let's continue, verse 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Here's truth number two. It's going to come right out of the scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I played around with different, should I change the word? Should I come up with some fancy something? Should I use an alliteration? I thought it'd just be simple enough to use the text itself. (laughs) So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's point number two. Now here's the question that arises. Some people ask this question. Why did God create anything? That's a very interesting question. That's a philosophical question people have really debated for centuries. But the question is, why would God create anything? God is all-powerful. God is eternal. God always has existed. He always will exist. Why does God need to create anything? Why did God create something instead of nothing? That's an interesting question. And so we think through this, and, and people come up with answers, and some people say, well, he created us because he was lonely. Well, that's not what the Bible says. He created us because he was bored. That's not what the Bible says. He created us because he needed somebody to love him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear, and I'm going to walk through a couple scriptures here in just a second. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God created everything, he did that very simply to bring glory to himself. He's the creator of the universe. You understand that? He can deal with the universe any way he sees fit. He can choose to create everything or he can choose to create nothing. But when he chooses to create, the Bible tells us he did that with one simple task in mind. He did that in order to bring glory to himself. You say, well, does the Bible say that? Yeah, the Bible says that throughout. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. There's this sense, right, that we can just look up and see the glory of the Lord. Why did God, I was, I was walking out in my back, back behind my house last night. I had a, a big fire last night. I burned some stuff and it was getting late and I went to check on it. It was dark. And I looked up and I was just reminded of this verse. And I looked up in the stars and the beauty of the stars and I was reminded, you, you know why God created the stars? You know why God created the Milky Way? You know why God created the universe? To bring glory to himself, And as part of his creation, as part of the created order, we get to enjoy that, don't we? We get to see that and and walk in that. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7, speaking to the Israelites, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, the Lord says, whom I created for my glory. See that? Who I formed and made. God created us for his glory. Isaiah 44, 23. Sing for joy, you heavens. For the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. Watch this. He displays his glory in Israel. Now these are just a few verses, but the the, the Bible is just chock full of verses that talk about the glory of the Lord. So let's, let's kind of walk through this logically just for a couple minutes if we can. God created everything for his own glory, right? He created the universe for his glory, the stars, the earth, the moon, the sun, the animals, the plants, the tree, us. Now, we are the crowning achievement of his creation. We'll see that in just a few weeks. We are created in the image of God. Now, because we're created in the image of God, because we're the crowning achievement, we've got some responsibility If the Lord has created us to bring him glory, then we ought to look at our lives and ask ourselves this simple question. Lord, what am I doing within the created order to bring you glory? 
Now let's think through this just for a second in our lives every day. Your marriage, if you're married, is not about self-gratification. It's about bringing glory to the Lord. Do you understand that? Ephesians says that very clearly. Your job is not about how much money you can make. It's about bringing glory to the Lord. The way that you live with your family at home is about bringing glory to the Lord. The way that you talk to a co-worker is about bringing glory to the Lord. The way that you think and the mindset that you have is about bringing glory to the Lord. Teachers, when you teach these precious students, it's about bringing glory to the Lord. Students, when you take a test, it's about bringing glory to the Lord, right? So you need to study a little harder. Everything we do is about bringing glory to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Just imagine if we tried to live our lives with the understanding that we're here, that God created everything to bring him glory. Imagine how that changed the way you view life. Imagine how that would change the way you view the world. Imagine how that would affect the way that you live. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. It's all about his plan. Now we need to finish up. We got to finish up this morning. Verse 2. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's truth number 3. God's Spirit hovered over the surface of the deep. God's spirit hovered over the surface of the deep. Now, some of you say, well, that's an interesting verse. There's not a whole lot we can get out of that. There's not a whole lot of application for us now. Let's just think through this just for a couple minutes as we wind this thing down. It's interesting because in verse 1 here, we see a sense of the Trinity. And there's some debate among scholars. But most scholars would kind of fall into this idea of saying this at least is an idea or a picture of what the Trinity looks like. Because the word God in Genesis 1 is plural. Elohim is plural in that particular context. And so we see this sense that the plural God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, created everything. And it's singular when he created. That's a singular verb. The plural God created everything singularly. You understand that? In in kind of one fail swoop. We're going to see that over the next few weeks. But we see this beautiful picture of the Spirit of the Lord hovering over the face of the deep. Now just think with me just for a second through this, right? God looks down and he's created the earth, but the Bible says the earth is, is, is nothing at this point. It's without form, it's void, it, it's chaos, some scholars would say. And God looks down as he hovers over the surface of the deep. As he looks down upon the chaos, and watch what he does now over the next many verses of the book of Genesis. He brings order into chaos. You understand that? He brings shape and pattern and symmetry and beauty into emptiness. He brings form into formlessness. One writer said it like this. It's God's work to make things ordered and beautiful. This is the way God is. God brings into being things that are not. God brings life when there is no life. 
I want to finish with this this morning. As we understand just the glory of the Lord and his power and his majesty. And I just kind of, it just to me, it sets the stage as we're going to jump into verse 3 next week. It sets the stage. The creator of the universe is hovering over the chaos. He's hovering over the void. And he's about to bring order and beauty and symmetry into this formless place. Here's the question that pervades our hearts this morning. Are you allowing God, are you allowing the creator of the universe to speak truth and beauty into the emptiness of your life? It still applies today. You see, the Spirit still hovers, right? The Spirit still speaks. And some of you, I can assure you, this last week or in the weeks to come, have looked upon your life and you wondered, why am I even here? What are you doing, Lord? It's tough. It's difficult. I seem empty. I feel void. There's nothing. My life is chaos, Lord. And we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the Bible says, The Spirit of God hovered upon the deep. And he spoke beauty and he spoke peace into chaos. Are you allowing him to bring order into your chaos? Are you allowing him to bring pattern into your emptiness? Do you trust the creator of all things with your life? God has a plan for creation. God has a plan for this world. God has a plan for the universe. And God has a plan for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture, Lord, this book that is just so rich. There's so much in it, so much of it today applies right now to where we are, Lord. You speak to us. As we work through these passages of Scripture, Lord, as we, as we study through this, I pray you would speak very clearly. I pray we would see your power. I pray we would see your majesty. I pray we would see your glory, Father. And I pray through that it would lead us to worship it would lead us to draw nearer to you and through the things that we say and do, I pray you'd be honored and glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can stand. We're gonna give you the chance for the next couple of minutes if you wanna come and pray at the altar. Maybe you need to pray for somebody. Maybe you wanna begin your prayer for missions today or for the South Asia team. Maybe for the first time you've been confronted with truth that there is a God. And if there is a God, you're accountable to that God. What does that mean to you? I'd love to talk to you more about it. Maybe you're here to join this church, but this is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.